Hello, everyone. This is Greg Jevonson, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine, and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Greg Rice. Greg is a long-distance rider who has logged more than 783,000 miles on motorcycles. He's a member of the Iron Butt Association and has completed nearly 200,000 miles on IBA-certified rides. Greg has ridden nearly 50,000 miles in Iron Butt rallies, and he has completed 70 Bunburner Gold rides. On each one, he rode at more than 1,500 miles in 24 hours. Stay tuned for our discussion with this long-distance rider. Greg, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So you're in Fort Lauderdale, is that correct? Yep, South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Yes, I am. Okay, I'm out in California, so we're both uh, enjoying a, a pretty mild winter uh, winter day. Um, so you and I have connected in the past because I came across you on Facebook. I had read about some of the rides that you've done. Um, you're a long distance rider. You like to put lots and lots of miles on motorcycles, um, and you've been doing it for a long time. So, uh, but you started doing these rides long before you had a connection with the Iron Butt Association, which many people are familiar with. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in motorcycling and then putting on lots of miles. Okay, um, my father was a Shriner and rode the uh, Harley Davidson Selective Glides and Parades and did all those kind of things. And um, so it started to interest me. I rode a few times with him. Um, and, uh, and then I joined the military and uh, money was short. So a motorcycle was uh, something I could afford at the time, right? So I started riding long distance um, back in the day because uh, I didn't have a lot of money to stay at hotels. So I was stationed at Great Lakes Naval Base in Chicago and my family lived in South Florida. So I would ride nonstop to 1300 miles from uh, the base up there to Miami mainly because I didn't have money to stay in a hotel and stuff, right? And so I started learning riding uh, long distance on a Kawasaki KZ650 with a national cycle windscreen on it. Um, they were in Chicago area, so I went to their factory one time, picked up a screen. I had a sissy bar. Uh, I had a, a tank bag with a CB radio and an eight-track player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely and going back a ways. Yeah, and I started riding, and uh, I really liked it, and uh, I found that I didn't like to stop, you know. Um, I didn't have the money back in the day for a lot of hotels, stuff being in the military and uh, the pay that we got back then, and um, and I just realized that, wow, that's something I really like to do. So um, I kept doing it, and um, once I got out of the military, I'm a disabled veteran, I got out, um, I got in law enforcement, and I was a deputy sheriff in Florida and South Florida, lived in Key West, and was Monroe County deputy sheriff, and I rode some with the department then we had some uh, motorcycles and stuff uh, and then i ended up uh with a, a government agency and went to japan for five years wow. and um got associated with the motorcycle groups and stuff around there um a local uh honda motorcycle shop started sponsoring me kind of and including me um did some uh print ad uh commercials and stuff for them sitting on motorcycles in my I had a leather suit and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And um, we used to do rides all over Japan. Um, we had a couple uh, rides a year that were nonstop rides um, where we go 24 hours. And so I was still doing that. Um, I became the president of the motorcycle club at the local community there um, back then and uh, just kept riding. Um, because I was a government employee, I was able to buy uh, motorcycles from on base through the exchanges. 
and have they would ship them to my house and I would get them in a crate and take them, uh, assemble them, take them out to the local shop and they would certify them for warranty. And I shipped a couple of them back when I came back to the States, back in the government shipped all that stuff for free for you. Right. So, uh, and I kept doing it, uh, got married, had a couple children, kind of slowed down a little bit, did a little more different things, some boating and stuff, so more inclusive with the family, obviously, and things like that. And, sure. and then um, kept waiting to get back into it, you know, pretty strong. And, um, and then uh, once my kids and stuff became a little more older and self-sufficient, didn't want to go hang out with mom and dad on the boat and stuff like that, uh, I got back into doing long distance and got hooked up with the IBA, the Iron Boat Association. So the Iron Butt Association, uh, early 2000s, I think I read on your website. Yeah, I think my first ride with them was 2002. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, most people are probably familiar with the Iron Butt Association. At least a lot of people are familiar with their sort of, you know, entry-level certified ride, the Saddle Star 1000. It's riding, a, uh, you know, at least 1,000 miles in 24 hours. Um, there are many, many, many other uh, certified rides out there. There's the Iron Butt Rally. Um, but yeah, it's, I imagine you, you found your tribe with the IBA. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm known for doing a ride. And then when I get there, say, okay, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to see stuff along the way. And early on I had cameras and, and video on my bikes and stuff like that. And, uh, and I, in fact, I'm getting ready to do some more of that again, but, um, it's more just the riding. And um, so I started uh, equipping my motorcycle so I could go long distance and not have to stop a lot and uh, and and mainly do it safely, right? Because you always always want to get back home, right? So, sure. Well, I mean, you know, and it's, um, with the IBA, I know that they have uh, fairly strict guidelines for having their rides to be certified. You know, you've got to have documentation for um, your starting and ending and and gas receipts and, and other documentation so that it can be officially certified. Um, I'd read on your, your website that uh, you said that you've been successful in every one of your IBA certified ride attempts. And uh, um, I know you've done at least 70 bun burner golds, which is more than 1500 miles in 24 hours. So that's, that's certainly uh, uh, it's another 500 miles more than your standard saddle sore. Um, so what do you do to make sure that it's successful? I'm a big planner. And um... I don't just, you know, wake up, say, I'm going to go do a ride, right? I, I think about them. I plan them. I route them out. Um, I go to sleep at night, walking through the route in my mind, you know, every turn I'm going to make on that ride, right? Um, I, I make sure my motorcycle's ready to go all the time. I do my own maintenance. I, uh, and I take care of the servicing and I do all the things, including valve checks, everything. Right? I don't just uh, change the oil and think it's good to go. Right. Um, so the planning around it, um, I found always makes it successful for me. And, and that's a big part of the fun for me is all the planning around it and searching for gas stations along the way. And a, a lot of times I'll build a, if I think it's going to be a really good ride for me, I'll build a web page about it and all the information, including my planned route and, and things like that. And then I have a satellite tracking device from Spot and use Spotwalla. Um, and I'll, I'll put that up and you know I'll post up and um, a lot of people, for whatever reason, want to follow, you know, along with me and stuff. So the planning around it and just the enjoyment of it, right? I, uh, there's something about it that I just enjoy out there that I can just go forever and not, you know, need to stop, right? I stop for gas, go to the restroom, bio breaks. I eat and drink on the bike. I'm all set up with that. I have uh, all my GPSs and communications all plumbed into my headset so I don't have to take my eyes off the road. Um, I do a lot of voice command stuff with my GPSs. I've 
back in the day, I used to open Garmin GPSs and hotwire the microphone and speakers and integrate them into my headsets so I could, you know, do voice commands and things that sure. they didn't offer back in the day, right, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really the planning and then just really, I really enjoy it. I mean, I can just, you know, go. <laughs> Well, you know, I've done some long rides. I've only got one uh, Saddle Soar 1000 certified under my belt. I've done gotten close a couple of times. Uh, um, and uh, I enjoy riding solo. I also like just, you know, putting long miles in the bike. Uh, I typically don't have music uh, playing or anything like that. And um, so, you know, especially since you've done so many of these, I mean, again, doing one bun burner with gold is a big accomplishment for a lot of people, but you've done 70 of them. What is it that you enjoy about doing them again and again and again? I mean, I imagine maybe you take some different routes, but what is it about those long hours on the bike that, uh, that you enjoy so much? Um, you know, when I started doing those, uh, I think the first one I did was like 2003. And it was like, wow, I can do that. And then I really, I can ride coast to coast basically in a day and a half, right? By doing 1500 plus mile days, right? And uh, in my mind, there's just something about being able to do those kind of things and events and be able to to cover so much ground. Um, and then there, it is the enjoyment of, I, I do see a lot and I'm constantly paying attention and looking at this and looking at that and trying to identify what traffic's doing and stuff, you know, and, and those things. And it just enjoyed it. I've done... Um, as many as four of them back to back to back to back, right? 6,000 wow. plus miles in uh, less than four days, right? And uh, um, there's that challenge too. Once you start, you know, that you, you, then you've got a challenge, you know? And then I've got a lot of other people now who are constantly challenging me to continue, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's. Uh, and so you've also uh, participated in some Iron Butt rallies. Uh, those are. I've, I've ridden in five and paid for seven. And, paid for seven. Uh, yeah, so I've been fortunate to be selected uh, many times since 2009 was my first Iron Butt Rally. And I think I finished around 34, 35th at that time. And um, I really love to challenge the competition. It's against you and then it also is against other people and being able to uh, come out with the planning and the routing and things. So um, my best in that is uh, I finished ninth in 2013 Iron Butt Rally. And um, I've done, uh, done pretty well with those, yeah. Yeah, for people that don't know, I mean, an Iron Butt Rally is it's 11 consecutive days and you're typically logging more than well over a thousand miles on on every one of those days. So it's a it's a major undertaking and it's also uh, it's by invitation only. Is that correct? Invitation only. And um, it's a little bit of an expense involved with it and sure. and time. Right. Because you got to be there a few days prior to there's inspections, there's all kind of um, processes that happen the few days leading up to the start. And then, you know, the banquet after and, you know, after you've ridden, you know, 11, 12,000 miles in 11 days, you need a day or two to relax before you start that ride home. I mean, one time we ended in Spokane, Washington. I was in South Florida. It was a 3,200 mile ride home <laughs> just to get back after doing 11 days of 11,000 plus miles. Right. Right, so. right. Well, you had mentioned, uh, you know, you've been in the military um, and then you were in law enforcement. Um, what sort of career has allowed you to uh block out so much time for some of these rides and, and rallies and so forth. Uh, do you work for yourself or something? No, I, I'm in IT now and have been for the last year, worked for a company. Um, you know, what I would do is um, I would get off work Friday afternoon and from South Florida, I would ride to Illinois for lunch on the weekend. Back. <laughs> I went from Fort Lauderdale to Mexico and back on a weekend. Wow. Right? 
you know, so I started doing all those kind of things. And then here and there, I would take a Friday or a Monday um, or a few other days. The Iron Butt Rally is a two-week investment. So, sure. um, you know, you have to um, – part of the time in 2009 and in 2011 and 13, I did work for myself. The other – since then, I've been as an employee. In 2009, um, hopefully my wife's not uh, listening, they wouldn't let me have the time off, <laughs> but I quit. <laughs> You don't want to know what I quit, but I quit to go participate in that. Oh. Right? So, well, hey, that's an honor. It's like, you know, you say, <laughs> since it's every other it's every other year an invitation only. It's not an opportunity that people would want to pass up. So no, uh, it's, it's an experience that is really um, amazing, especially if you're doing it to challenge yourself and just being able to keep going and that planning because come day six, seven, eight, nine, it's really gets to be hard. Right. And yeah. just have that willpower, motivation, whatever, to keep driving and, uh, and, and to do well, right? So. Well, and for what, you know, for some people that may not be familiar with how the Iron Butt Rally works is that, you know, um, and you would know better than I have not participated in one, but is that there are um, uh, points that can be earned by achieving certain destinations. It's, it's somewhat of a scavenger hunt in certain ways. It is. It but, is. It's, a, it's a nationwide North America scavenger. That's really what it is. Yep. And so there can be very high value bonus points, but they can be like ridiculously far away. And, but the whole idea is by the end of the rally, you have accumulated the highest number of points. So you've got, it's very strategic how you plan. Not everybody's gonna do, it's not like everybody's following the same route. Everybody's got their own options for where they go and how they get there and, and trying to accumulate points. So um, I imagine that's, and again, you've got, then you've got to ride all those miles. So you've got to continue to think strategically as well as, as log lots of miles. So that sounds like a, a very demanding challenge. Yeah. I have a um, software program I developed back in like 2010 um, that now many people use. It's basically spreadsheet um, that uh, integrates a lot of functionality and functions that help you do all the planning and getting ready and stuff like that. And the, the top couple Winners in the last past IBRs have used my software now. Oh, it's on my cool. website on there, and um, and that helps me because, like I say, the, for me, planning is a big deal. Yeah. And I plan out months and months and months, and I have a motorcycle, a checklist of stuff I make sure I have with me when I go. Um, I want to be self-sufficient on the road. I have tire compressors, you know, tire repair kits, all all kinds of tools that I've never used, thankfully. <laughs> um, but uh, and and then it and then you know, so once you plan well. And you know how to get what you want to do, then it's about being able to ride what your plan is doing, right? So. Right. Well, isn't that kind of a mantra of of, uh, of long distance rider? The IBA is sort of uh, plan the ride and ride the plan. Yes, it is. Yeah. And and then having that ability to adapt if you need to, right? Weather. Sometimes I've had fires close roads, weather, uh, tropical storms, and you know because we do the rally in the summer, and and sometimes there's weather, you know that makes you go a different place so then you got to be able to adapt and adjust but it's basically have a good plan and go ride that plan yeah. right well tell us a little bit about the the bikes that you've ridden over the years uh, i know uh you know on your website I've, and you and i have communicated in the past you've had uh ridden gold wings uh i think you've ridden some bmws uh yep. yamaha fjr yep. i mean so what, what kind of bikes have you ridden over the years uh, i started back way back in the day with the uh, 650s honda i had one of the first honda 504s way back in the 70s um but I started getting to where I wanted to have low maintenance motorcycles because I was doing a lot of miles and uh, usually I was averaging about 50,000 miles a year. Wow. So um, I started looking and um, Goldwings was like the bike that needs 
the least amount of maintenance. You can ride that bike for 50,000 miles and not even touch it if you wanted to, right? <laughs> and um, so I started riding those in 2003, 2002, and, um, and I bought eight of them. <laughs> wow. Uh, so much so that um, I know the marketing people at Honda uh, uh, out in California, Torrance out there, right? We, we communicate and, and stuff like that. And uh, I got very comfortable and good with those. But I found that um, in the Iron Butt Rally, come day eight and nine, that bike becomes very heavy because okay. sometimes there's off-road riding involved mm. and, and up mountain roads and lots of twisties sometimes, depending on where the bonus, best bonus points are to go after, right? And so I changed in 2016 to a BMW RT. And... I found that to be a really nice motorcycle. Uh, I was a little leery about them because they'd had some final drive issues in the in the past, and the Iron Butt Association had kind of pointed it out in the previous rallies where it was a 20% failure of BMWs at one point. Right. Those and uh, they fixed the problem in 13. I went with the RT. I really loved it. Um, but then Honda came out with the new 2018 Goldwing redesign. Right. They invited me out to the release out in uh, Texas. They had near Austin. Mm-hmm. I went to there and next thing you know, I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, sold my RT and bought that new 2018 Goldwing. And in my mind, it, it just wasn't what it was. I'd ridden um, about 500,000 miles on Goldwings on um, all the previous ones that I had. And it just didn't have the same weather protection and many other things, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was in between an ST 1300 and a Goldwing, right? The way right. they had designed it. And so I kept that for about a year and um, I decided I wanted to go back to BMW and I bought a BMW GSA and uh, um, and that's what I'm riding today. Um, I had an FJR in, in between two GSAs, um, put 40,000 miles and about 10 months on it. It just wasn't, didn't feel big enough for me. It was a great motorcycle. It's bulletproof. You can ride that thing hard as you want, as long as you want, like a Goldwing. It's a very bulletproof motorcycle. Um, I'm trying to expand uh, my riding a little bit more dirt gravel type riding. Um, our house in the mountains is on a dirt gravel road up and down a pretty steep hill and stuff. And it's supposed to, you know, be better. I haven't gotten great at it yet. So, uh, um, but uh, so now I'm riding a BMW GSA. It's a pretty much um, all purpose motorcycle. Sure. <laughs> Um, other than the Goldwing, it has the best seating position you can have. It's a, I've got a couple of risers set up on it, and so I sit upright. I've got a custom seat with Russell, and um, it makes me um, very comfortable riding. Right. Well, I mean, you know, with the GSA, since it's the adventure model, it's got uh, taller suspension, so the seat is higher. Um, if you can accommodate the seat height, if you can adapt to that with your, le- you know, inseam and leg length, um, I know then it's got an eight-gallon tank, so it's got as far as its stock configuration's got a lot of range. Um, so, and that's one of the questions I have is, you know, you've owned many Goldwings, you've owned an FGR, you've owned an RT, or uh, you've owned some GSAs. Uh, what sort of modifications do you do to some of these bikes? I know some long distance riders add auxiliary tanks. Um, clearly they often, I mean, not, not just talking about um, navigational equipment, um, but, um, you know, lighting, other sorts of things like that. Uh, things to make it more comfortable. What sort of modifications do you often do? I go to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I have auxiliary tank. I have multiple types of auxiliary lighting. I integrate a lot of electronics. I want to hear everything in my headset. Sure. So I've developed audio circuits, uh, mixers that allow me to mix in four or five different items, 
multiple GPSs, radar detectors, other things. Um, I have a thermal imaging camera, <coughs> excuse me. And um, I, I develop electronics. So now I have a, a, a mixer that allows me to include five devices, some Bluetooth and some other. So I can plumb all that into my headset so I can hear everything in that. So um, I have a hydrate, what we call a hydration system, which was a one gallon jug that I've uh, got a design for mounted on the passenger peg. So I can drink. I have a bag that I carry my food with so I can eat. And then I use custom windscreens. I have a, right now a Yamaha FJR Puke Touring windscreen on my GSA. <laughs> and, you know, it looks a little funny, but it, uh, um, I'm looking for the most wind weather protection right. for long distance riding and, and also more quiet. Yeah. Because I found that the quieter the motorcycle, the less my mind is trying to process the sound, the less tired I am at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Um, so, and then I have a, a, like a laminar lip type technology uh, also there to help deflect air over and reduce the buffeting sound. Another thing I do, I found with Goldwings way back in the day is um, where the forks come up and what we call the tunnel where the forks come up to meet the handlebars, right. that's a big wide opening. You'd be shocked at how much dirt, dust, rain, water, snow that comes up through that opening. Back in about 2003, I started cutting up foam, filling in that tunnel. And the noise that blocks and the dirt and the dust that blocks um, is crazy. I wear a high-vis jacket from Aerostitch. Mm -hmm. And before I started doing those, those things get dirty quick. <laughs> they do. But yeah. when I fill in that foam, um, the, the sound uh, noise is way down. Um, the dirt and dust that blows up through there. So um, I do a tremendous amount of modifications to my most. And it's all about being safe and comfortable. Right. The more comfortable you are, the longer you can go, and then the more safe you are, you know, you're going to make it back, right? So uh, some people think it's a little bit much, but um, it's important for me to be able to hear everything so I can keep my eyes on the road, my hands on the handlebars, and be able to do a lot of voice stuff, commands and things like that, and then to be as comfortable as I can. So. Sure. Well, I, I don't think some people, unless they've uh, uh, seen them firsthand, can quite appreciate the uh, level of adaptation and modification that goes into uh, you know, an iron butt rally co competition bike in terms of, like you said, all the navigation, the lights and so forth, the auxiliary fuel tank, the ability to stay hydrated. Um, it's, uh, they, they, they look almost, some of them can be almost unrecognizable at times, you know, it doesn't look like the stock bike, but it's, it's about functionality. It's not about, um, I mean, what some people call about farkles, where they're, you know, uh, functional, you know, sparkly, you know, whatever it may be is that, some of those are, are just for, um, you know, uh, bolt-ons, but I know it sounds like for, in your case, especially since you're very technically inclined, you've engineered some of your own solutions, is that um, you, you wouldn't put anything on your bike if it's not going to help it, uh, as you said, uh, help you be safe, more visible, more comfortable, uh, you know, all that stuff, it's got to have a functional purpose, you know, for yeah. you. Yeah. No, no chrome for me. <laughs> no chrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just one more thing to keep clean. So what I'm also curious about is, uh, since you're, uh, you know, you're starting from South Florida uh, for some of your rides, I know you say you have a house up in the, in the Carolinas and the mountains. Um, um, but, you know, you're able to ride year round in South Florida, like I am yes. in, in California, I realize that not every part of the country can you ride year round. But um, what do you do to deal with some of the weather challenges, whether it's rain, um, you mentioned uh, wildfires. I know where I am in Southern California, anytime I, in the summer, I've got to go across the Mojave Desert. It's typically 
105, 110 degrees for hours at a time. So how do you deal with the, the extreme weather that you encounter? Well, I wear aerostitch gear, uh, 81 pants and the Darien jacket, um, no matter what. I've been in Death Valley, it's 121 degrees in my aerostitch gear. And uh, it was crazy. Um, but I've, uh, and then I wear LD Comfort gear underneath me um, by, by Mario, right, from LD Comfort. And um, that's some really great moisture wicking that really works well in the summertime. And there's some techniques that we've learned about um, putting a little water on you, open your jacket sleeves open and kind of let air blow through. Sure. Um, it, it's like an air conditioner when it's really hot out. Um, having done a lot of riding out of South Florida, um, I've gotten used to humidity and wearing the gear. Um, so when it gets up to 90, I'm, I'm just normal, everyday comfortable. Um, and then when I get out of South Florida, the humidity is a lot lower. 90 is not as hot as it is in South Florida when it's high humidity. Right, so, right. And then in the winter, I have um, warm and safe electric gear, gloves, jacket, pants, and socks. And I can ride down into the teens as long as there's no ice and stuff. I've been in snowstorms. Um, when I, even when I went to Alaska in June, one, one time it was 21 degrees. I went to southern Mexico a couple of years ago, and who would have thought up in the mountains uh, outside of Monterey, it was 21 degrees there in, uh, wow. in, in, uh, in Mexico, right? And um, so I have all the heated gear with the remote thermostats, and you can pretty much dial those in. And, and like I say, down in the low 20s, you can, because I use all the weather wind blocking techniques, right. I have some uh, products from Aeroflow that help deflect air off and around me on my GSA. And then the big windscreen that I have, um, that really goes a long ways. I have a lot oversized uh, hand guards for my hand and then heat grips, and that goes a long ways to, um, to keeping you warm, even in low temperatures. Right, right. Yeah, you know, those, those kinds of things make a big difference. You know, I mean, even motorcycles that come with their own heated grips or seats or something, and, uh, but anything you can do to keep more of that wind chill off of you in the cold, I know whenever I'm riding, uh, when it's really hot, and again, since I'm in Southern California and typically riding in the desert Southwest, when it's hot, it's extremely dry. So I've got to stay hydrated. Um, I've used cooling vests, you know, that you soak and they hold in a lot of moisture and they, as they evaporate over time, especially with mesh gear that can help keep you cool. And it's, it's really about just keeping your body in the, in the wintertime, you got to keep your core warm and in the, in the summertime, you got to keep your core uh, cool just so your body can regulate itself and uh, again uh, um, keep you keep you safe and keep you you know focused on the ride so yeah, yeah. it's uh that's it's key pieces of things to do and it's all around the planning and trying experimenting and finding what's because what works for me may not always work for everybody else right um, but uh the more comfortable you are weather weather wise the safer you're going to be out there too right so. well and i you know the thing is that applies for anybody that's going on some long distance trips even if they're not trying to do uh, you know, iron butt certified rides, if they're just going to go on a long trip and they want to, maybe they've never ridden cross country before, or they've only got so many days and they're trying to, you know, go see a particular national park, you're going to put, you know, four or five, six, 700 miles on your bike. You ought to be prepared for, you know, like I said, look ahead for the weather, but bring some rain gear if you, you know, or bring whatever you can so that you're not going to, if you get cold and wet, or if you get caught out in a storm or something, it can, it can really ruin a ride. It, it's or it, it just sucks to be honest with you right yeah. <laughs> it, it just be prepared you know know ahead right i have weather radar on my motorcycle so i have two devices that give me the radar to look up ahead and um people why do you need that well i just want to be prepared i'm not going to stop 
the weather doesn't make me turn around and stop, but it makes sure I'm prepared to be that way. Right. right. And right. Um, so that you are comfortable because it's no fun riding in the cold and, and rain and stuff like that. You're just uncomfortable. Right. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, and another thing you mentioned that is that you're very prepared. Um, you know, you do all the maintenance on your own motorcycles, which is, is probably the exception rather than the rule these days. Uh, motorcycles are, are very complicated. You clearly do a lot of your own uh, engineering with your electronics and so forth. But what do you bring with you to uh, prepare yourself for like the most common, you know, uh, breakdown issue would be a flat tire. I know that's ha right. probably happened to most of us or many of us. Uh, I know with tubeless wheels on cast, tubeless tires on cast wheels, you know, if you've got a, a plug kit um, and a way to reinflate your tire, it can just be a minor inconvenience. But um, you have other things that you do to stay prepared yeah, on the road? I, I have the tire compressor. I have three different types of tire repair kits, depending on what type of uh, hole. And I practice that. I have a, a no more tire changer at my house in North Carolina. So um, I'll take old tires and I'll practice plugging them and stuff like that. Um, knock on wood, I haven't had a flat on the road since 2008. Wow. So uh, yeah, that's when I saw I'm knocking on wood over here. Um, but I carry also a a lot of those, I carry a little voltmeter for electronics. I have a lot of electronics on my motorcycle, right? And I, I want to be prepared for that. I carry a little extra wires and wire strippers, wire connectors, um, things like that to be able to, you know, change some wires. I've had a couple times something, you know, a wire got pulled loose for some reason. Maybe I had it too tight and hit a big bump and the suspension, you know, spread out and, you know, stretched the wire and pulled it loose, something like that. Obviously, the, the normal tools and pliers and those things. Um, I carry some small sockets. I'm, I'm way over. I've never broke down on the road. I had a, the last time I say I had anything was a flat in 2008. Um, and, but I, I want to be self-prepared, ready to something like um, when I had a gold wings, I carried a number 19 socket because that was a lug nut for the rear wheel. Right. And a, a, an extension to where I could get enough leverage on it if I needed to take the wheel off. Because on a gold wing, if you know what you're doing, you lay it on the side and you take the wheel off. So and you could get it, get a car ride somewhere if you had to get a tire put on and bring it back and put it back on with just carrying those sockets and stuff. Right. right. And um, just to be self-sufficient as much as possible. So if you do break down, you can um, find a way to get yourself back on the road. Right. So. Absolutely. Well, and uh, for somebody like you that puts logs as many miles, you said that, you know, you easily put 50,000 miles on uh, in a year on, on a motorcycle. Um, you must go through a lot of tires. I do. And <laughs> It's, it can be an issue because, you know, I may have four or 5,000 miles on a tire, and but I'm getting ready to do a 10,000 mile ride. So I got to take those off. Um, until I had my own tire changer, I had a couple of relationships with the local shops um, and they offered me some really nice deals, $20 a piece to mount tires for. Right? Sure. So, um, so I'll, I'll take them off and change them. And um, sometimes I'm through five sets in a year, right? And um, so I try to, you know, frugal with my money i'll order online and take the tires and somebody pay them 20 bucks and they mount them for me and stuff like that um at my house i, th I think i have two sets ready to go for for me i try to be you know because i never know sometimes something comes up and i'm going to have some free time and i can plan out a ride and i need to change the tires and things like that yeah. right so i go out sometimes five sets a year tires so. wow wow so uh you ever crossed over to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm one of the uh, instigators. Um, I did it on my gold wing in 2005. And to be honest with you, uh, there's no difference. Uh, go a stock gold wing tire has a 180 width. 
Yeah. I run at 195 on goal wings. There was barely any difference. I could run run flats. So when I go to Alexa, Mexico, uh, Alaska or Mexico, I could use run flats just in case. Never had a problem. But um, and then when I went to the BMW RT, nobody had ever put a car tire on one of those. But right. you can't get more than 10,000 miles out of a rear tire on those things. And yeah. competing in the Iron Butt Rally, you need more than that. So yeah. I had a guy devise a wheel spacer, aluminum wheel spacer, that um, because where the swing arm is, single sided swing arm on an RT. If you put too, uh, too much bigger tire, the tire would touch the swing arm. Right. So I had somebody develop me a three-quarter inch spacer to move the wheel out off so that then I could mount a car tire. So I mounted a car tire on a BMW RT, and after a couple hundred miles of riding that thing, I was dragging my elbows on it. Not just my, <laughs> not just my foot pegs, but uh, it was amazing how well that bike handled that. Um, when I went to the um, FJR, I had a car tire on that before I had my permanent tag. I still had the t temporary tag when I went to a car tire on it. Um, the geometry on that isn't as good as it is on an RT for a car tire. Right. So I ran about 30,000 miles on that. And then I went back to a, a, a motorcycle tire. But instead of a 180, I went with a 190 because um, I was looking for a little more height yeah. um, off the road. And just, I, I like to have more contact patch uh, of rubber touch. I found that with the bigger the tire, you know, the more contact patch, the quicker I stop yeah. and the better traction I have in the rain. Yeah. And um, along with uh, longer tire life. Yeah. And on my goal wings and my RT, I already told everybody. Also, it's nice that when I pull up to stop, I don't have to put my feet down with a car tire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. They so, look at me you for know, a I've always wondered because, I mean, we, we've, so our, uh, our, one of our, our columnists, Eric Tro wrote an article years ago, and it's been more than 10 years now about uh, dark side and putting car tires on motorcycles. And, uh, you know, and his take was, you know, was, was more on the side of, you know, the dynamics of a motorcycle tire and safety and so forth. But has the, I've never had the experience is that, is that, can you notice a difference? I mean, again, you think of a squared off profile on a car tire versus the rounded profile of a motorcycle. Is it, uh, does it feel pretty awkward? Uh, it would, I'd say about the first hundred miles, you, you a little more pressure on your handlebars to get over. And I'm not a real knee dragger. I like yeah. to ride in the mountains in the curves, but I'm not a knee dragger. Yeah. Um, I go a little fast, but, um, uh, it's just a little bit of adjustment. Um, the goal wings and the RT, once you had that a little bit of adjustment, it, you didn't notice it. Yeah. I don't know why. And I had people be behind me and take photos and, you know, I'm up laid up there on the edge of that yeah. car tire. But you just don't know. I run less air than you would okay. normally, so it keeps it a little uh, softer on the edges, right? Okay. Um, on the FJR, it was a little more effort involved with that. And um, but um, it's really, you know, if you're a knee dragger, then you know it's not going to work for you. Yeah. But if you're looking for miles, yeah, you know, and you don't want to have to stop in the middle of a ride to change tires and those yeah. kind of uh, things, like on uh, I rode the um, 2019 Iron Butt Rally on a GSA. I only got 8,000 miles out of the rear tire. So I had to stop on the clock and do a yeah. tire change. So, you know, the finding somebody and those kind of things. So right. um, it's, it's really, to be honest with you, uh, no problem. I've probably ridden um, 300 plus thousand miles on car tires on different right. bikes and never had an issue, never had a problem. Sure. Um, and I don't want to say this, but it seemed to feel more safe when it came to stopping and riding in uh, bad weather and stuff like that, right? right. With the more traction, more rubber touching the road and stuff, so.
Well, for like you said, you've got a lot of a uh, lot of miles on bikes, a lot of experience with um, you know the uh, maintenance and repair, and and you've got considerations as a high mileage rider that you know your typical touring or sport touring rider or you know would would not have. You know, it's it's a it's a different set of circumstances. Yeah, so yeah, and and you you just adjust for that, right? If you, yeah, if you, you know, but you you want to be where you, I like to ride, so I don't want to be stopped working on my motorcycle. Right. Sure. So yeah, that's, that's one of the things I try to focus on. Right? Well, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you know, or what keeps you going? I mean, what's, what's your sort of, do you have a, a, a different kind of ride or something that you're, that you're thinking about that would be a little bit different or it's just become, it's become a hobby that, you know, it's, it's a hobby. It's a, that I really enjoy. Um, uh, even today when I'm thinking of planning a ride, the nights leading up to it, I can't sleep. And I've been doing this a long time. So <laughs> I'm closing in on 800,000 miles of riding. Yeah. And um, I still, and, but I'm always looking for something different and, you know, unique. And like um, back in 2012, I rode a thousand miles in less than 24 hours in the Florida Keys from Key Largo to Key West, back and forth and back. And forth. <laughs> you cross 400 bridges, right? Cause there's 40 bridges each way. Right. Wow. So I, um, we have a lake in Florida. It's one of the biggest lake in Florida called Lake Okeechobee. I, uh, three, four years ago, I did a thousand miles around that. Wow. Um, I've got some really crazy playing and doing a thousand miles around the Kansas City uh, football baseball stadium to the, around the park. I call it the parking lot 1000. <laughs> and but uh, right now, my next ride I really want to do is ride to the Panama Canal and back. So I've got a, uh, and just to ride down and ride back right. in less than 10 days. So um, I've, I've done all the planning. I've got some people down there now kind of citing out the border crossings, which is the most complex piece. Sure. Um, I rode to Southern Mexico a couple of years ago. My plan was to then go to Panama Camp, but there was some, some stuff going on in Central America, mainly in Nicaragua, where there was a big uprising. And I knew somebody at the embassy down there and they said, look, you don't need to, you don't need to. So yeah. I rode to Southern Mexico. I did a thousand miles in Mexico and got a really nice uh, Mexico uh, IBA certificate. Cool. Um, but I didn't drop that dream and wanting to ride to the Panama Canal, right? So um, I'm so planning where, that next. Yeah. So from where you are in South Florida, how far? You know, one way to get you to the Panama Canal. About how many miles you're looking at? It's uh, 4,500 miles each okay. way. Okay. Wow. Right? So it's not it's not that bad. Um, 1,500 yeah. of it is in the U.S. from here to Eagle Pass, Texas. Okay. Um, so there's a day. Um, and then it's uh, another um, 3,300 miles or so to Panama and back. And uh, 1,400 of it is Mexico. Yeah. And then in the other 1,400 or so, or 1,500 or so is from Guatemala to Panama Canal. Right. right. So, yeah. So I've got a big plan. I've got a big webpage. Awesome. Got it all drawn out. I'm working on the wife right now. So uh, she's yeah. still no. Years ago, when she, um, I told her I was going, she finally uh, agreed. But I had to buy uh, hostage insurance, terrorism. She, she told me if they call for money, don't. I ain't got any. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, that's you know, you you're married. You've got a you know, got a family. Uh, as your kids are probably grown by now, but uh, yeah. I guess your your wife has has come to accept this as part of who you are for a long time. This is not a new thing for you, so uh, it's not new, but it's still sometimes a conversation to. Uh, sure. Because, you know, sometimes she says, well, you already did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, but, um, you know, I'm still learning. <laughs> so. 
Well, it, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, it's, it, it can border on and it's, it's more than just a hobby. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a passion or an obsession. And if someone else doesn't share it in the same way, it's sort of like when, you know, people are asking like, why do you need more than one motorcycle? It's like, well, you have to have to ask the question, you know, that sort of thing. So, right. yep. yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I don't do just the right. Like I, said, I develop weather web pages for all different kinds of events. I have software different people use and, and many different things. That, yeah. um, and then every day I get emails and phone calls for how do I do this? What do I do with this? Yeah. Right? And I try to put all that on my website, but with a full-time job and family, sometimes I get behind on that stuff. Yeah. So your website, it's gregrice.com, right? Yep. Yes. G-R-E-G-R-I-C-E.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. So uh, before we, we wrap things up, I'm just curious, you know, if you, uh, it's uh, a lot of people, again, have heard, you know, about the Iron Butt Association. They've seen the license plates where it says world's toughest riders. But a lot of people have never done uh, even the, the sort of entry-level Saddle Star 1000. Um, that's a big undertaking for some people. And um, what would be your advice for somebody who's considering something like that? Um, first thing is get comfortable on your motorcycle, whatever that means. For everybody, it's a little different, right? Um, uh, when I had goings, I never had a custom seat. Um, the seat was big. Um, I didn't need anything, and, and I, it didn't bother me. I use beads uh, seats for mm -hmm. bead rider. Um, for me, that airflow is better than than anything else. I tried sheepskin and all that, but get comfortable. Um, start riding some distance, 100 miles, 200 miles, 500 miles, you know, and be comfortable with that 500 miles and, and your ergonomics and, and find a way to keep yourself hydrated because that's the key, hydrated and snacks, you know, have a, you know, a tank bag or some way to have some kind of snacks, power bars, whatever it is that makes you um, do well. And a way to drink water, whether you have a cup holder or a water bottle and tank bag, whatever. It doesn't have to be something extreme. And just start riding and be sure you like it. Because if you don't like it, you know, I don't know, you may suffer through that one and then never do it again, right? And, right. Uh, and stuff. So, and then um, be sure to pick a road that you can be successful. And I see people pick all these two lanes and back roads and twisties to do their first ride. And, and then at the end of the day, they weren't successful because... It's a hard road for anybody, even if somebody's a bit like me, right? I, yeah. I sometimes will have a couple hundred miles of twisties when I start a ride out of my house in North Carolina just because it's a necessity. That's, there's nothing until I get a couple hundred miles away, right? right. But, um, but I've been doing it for a long time. So, so uh, find a road you can be successful on. And <clears throat> it's better to find a road to go out. If you're going to do the 1,000 miles, go 500 miles out, turn around and come back home. Right. Don't be trying to plan a hotel and all those other things because it just makes it more complex. And then be flexible with the weather. You know, don't do your first one in the rain and cold and stuff. <laughs> Unless you're really, you know, you're going to love it, right? And you really don't know, right? Um, if you're not used to riding in bad weather, wait until the weather is going to be good. And yeah. then <clears throat> you'll be successful. And, um, and most people, wow, I want to do that again, right? So. Yeah, you know, and the interesting thing is uh, the one the one Saddle Star 1000 I did, I think it was 1100 and something miles and and less than 24 hours I was up in Walla Walla, Washington and had to get home to Ventura, California and there's no shortcut. It's more than 1000 miles no matter what you do. Yeah. But the majority of that route I ended up on Interstate 5 running the length of California and so on a major freeway, motorcyclists often think of freeways as being boring but you can't beat them for the efficiency of not having to stop at traffic lights, not having to slow down going through towns. 
Um, they're often in gas stations right off the road. So again, you're not having to go look for them or something like that. And I don't know that people can fully appreciate that if you're watching the clock, it, you can burn a lot of time at a gas station. If you wander into the convenience store and you're looking for snacks or you know, you're in the bathroom and so forth, you can burn half an hour pretty quickly. But you know, if you're on the clock to, to ride a, a thousand miles in less than 24 hours, at least that um, you gotta be efficient. You gotta think things through. You especially at the beginning yeah. you know once you get good at it and you've, you've got a pattern and you understand different things and stuff um interstates are great you can cover a lot of miles at a reasonable speed you don't have to be crazy yeah uh riding the interstates right yeah. I, I rode across country in 29 hours and 23 minutes yeah on the goalway right so <laughs> uh, right so um you can really uh cover it and and, and then you get comfortable and you become you, you learn that. And for me, the interstates aren't boring. Yeah. The, the kind of traffic you see out there and the different things that are going on. And, and you get to see really more than you do back on the back roads and twisters because you're paying more attention to your riding right. and stuff like that. Right. So. Um, and, and then you get comfortable. Then you can start to, you know, expand and do some of these uh, rides where you conclude some. Now I find like when I'm doing a bumper and a goal 1500 miles. I want to include other things in it, right? One time I did 16 stops at different things from cemeteries and unique stuff from Roadside America, things like that, to um, <clears throat> make it more interesting and challenging, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, like you say, it doesn't have to be a grind. I mean, it's going to be long hours in the saddle, but it can be if you are the kind of person that is, you know, you're okay with being in your own head with your own thoughts. Uh, it can be a meditative experience. You can be uh, away from the you know your cell phone or your computer and your email or whatever it's a way to sort of take a break from that i know that for me is one of the most rewarding things about going on long rides is is yeah just having time to sort of be out and looking at whatever's out there on the road i mean it can be yeah. a, an interstate or a back road it's a, if you're a curious person and just to see like i said it's the it's the stores that you pass or the vehicles on the road or whatever it may be or the scenery it's like yeah, it's always, it can always, some of it's more interesting than others, but there's always something interesting to see no matter where you go. It, it, it's a great time to get out there and, and get away. I've solved world peace and world hunger. On that, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and just, you know, get away from the rat race of life. It's uh, if you enjoy it, it's, it's a great way to just, you know, drone out from everything else that's going on, especially today. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. Right. I mean, in today's world, it's a COVID friendly event yeah. because you go to a, a bathroom and you get gas Yeah. and you're by yourself. So you're not going to get the virus that way. Right. So uh, right. Um, it's, it's a, it, it can be really enjoyable. It really can. If you plan, prepare, prepare for the elements, know what's ahead. Um, and you like riding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if people can be honest with themselves, I mean, you know, is there's, there is the concern that some people, you know, especially if you're doing a lot of hours at night, is there can be fatigue. People have got to be honest with themselves about what their state can be. And the weird thing is one of the byproducts of fatigue is poor judgment. So people yes. have just got to, like you said, that's why if you've got a plan, if you stick to your plan and you're not trying to innovate or, or, or you, know, um, you know, what you're doing or make it up as you go along, then if you deviate from that plan and something seems like it's going, you know, hey, this might not be working out. Hey, you know, take a break, get a hotel, do whatever, and and try it again another time. So yeah, yeah. Tom tomorrow's another day because yeah. you want to be there for tomorrow to try that other day, right? right? right. So that's the right. key, right? Is uh, know what you can do, and you and you're 
the more you do it, the more you, you know what you can do. And, and most likely, the more you can do it, right? That you gain more experience and you learn more things. Um, but for me, the getting comfortable, I have a, like handlebar riders on my GSA, I have two sets, two kinds. Yes. And I have the rocks and another kind. And, you know, it makes me, I mean, effortlessly riding down the road. I have a Russell's custom seat. So I'm, right. I'm like, you know, um, and then I block all the wind and weather I can. And um, it just I'm more comfortable. So I'm more alert, pay attention better. And, uh, and then I can cover more miles. Sure. Awesome. Well, hey, Greg, you've been generous with your time. It's been enjoyable. To, like I said, I, I'm always fascinated by long distance riding and those that have really, uh, you've accomplished a lot doing uh, rallies and rides and so forth. And uh, thanks for sharing your experience and ideas and uh, advice with our listeners. Yeah, please. Anytime. I'm, uh, I love, that's another part of that. I love helping people figure out how to do stuff, right? So, uh, and I always let people contact me anytime. Awesome. Well, like I said, you can go to gregrice.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, he's got a lot of great information in there about long distance riding and some of his, uh, uh, his certified rides and, and so forth. So yeah, go check that out. Uh, again, thanks for your time, Greg. And for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Rider Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.